especially when you're in junior high. I think there's a ton to love about church. I was, I was thinking back even to junior high this last Wednesday. If you were here, you know uh, it was awesome, I thought. Uh, somebody in junior high told me this was the best night ever, which, wow, that's, that's high praise. But I get it. I mean, there was a lot of candy. Uh, we gave you an uh, irresponsible amount of sugar. There was uh, marshmallows all over the place. There were uh, pieces of candy wrappers everywhere. Uh, you had hot chocolate, cookies. It was a lot of sugar. Great reason to love coming to church. Uh, there was also uh, the fact that Trishan was letting you pie people in the face. Uh, that's pretty great. I thought that was awesome as well. And it was probably also a great night because of the fact that you got to you know, hang out with your friends that maybe you hadn't seen in a while, and you got to wear an ugly Christmas sweater and sing Feliz Navidad at the top of your lungs. Uh, when I think about last Wednesday here at church, it just reminds me that there's a lot to love about our church, about church, even that our church lets us do stuff like we did on Wednesday. But we could add to a list of things that we love about church. Uh, if you're in middle school, if you're like me, you, when I was in middle school, you might love coming to church on Sundays because you know you'll probably get to see some of your friends. You'll get to see uh, some of your best friends, at least for a couple hours, and catch up. Or you may love being at church because you know you're pretty much guaranteed to find a really good donut somewhere on campus. I, I, I know that I've, well, at least I've heard that Cornerstone has the best donuts. I don't know if that's true. Does anybody confirm or didn't? Torian says yes. Okay. Uh, or, you know, other reasons you might love church in middle school. You, you know that there's a pretty good chance that your family will go out to eat after church on Sunday. My family always went to our favorite taco place. Anybody do tacos after church on Sunday? A few of you. If you know, you know. It's kind of, you have to get it. But, but then we know there's also obviously more important reasons that we would love being at church. There's, there's even greater, way greater reasons that as you grow walking with the Lord, you see are good reasons to love church. The Bible tells us that the church is the pillar and support of the truth. That means that we have God's word taught here all the time. And that helps us. It helps us in our lives to help us grow in holiness, to be who God wants us to be. The church is also where Christians can gather together and worship Jesus Christ as one, united together. Uh, the church is where Christians fellowship. They share their burdens. They pray together. They uh, help one another. They encourage one another in following Jesus. Uh, the, the church is where Christians serve one another. They use the gifts that God has given them. And the church is where Christians can uh, remember together what Jesus did on the cross, especially when we have the Lord's table together. There's a lot of things, especially as you grow as a Christian, that you could say are reasons to love church. And I think one of the reasons that I've grown to love church as I've walked with the Lord is that church is where we get to hear about how God is working in people's lives. Especially if you come on a Sunday night and you hear baptisms here, you know that God loves saving sinners. And he is doing it all the time. When we look around a church, we can see 
the truth that God is a savior. And that should really make us love being at church because we're learning what God is like. At church, we get to hear salvation stories all the time. People that talk about what their life was like before Christ and then the fact that Christ came into their life and then that their life was changed forever because Christ saved them. We have so many reasons to love church, but I think this is one of the greatest reasons. And this is not just at Grace Community Church, it's at every church. And it's at every church even going back in history. You could go back hundreds of years and you can read stories of people saved by Christ, testimonies of people who have come to faith in Jesus, even middle schoolers who came to know Christ and their life was changed. And really, that's what our passage does for us this morning, even. It's a reminder to us of those basic truths that God saves. This is a story of, of Saul being saved. It's really his testimony of coming to faith in Christ. And it's a story that shows us what God is like, what God can do in people's lives, and how God loves to save sinners. It's a story I think we should love to hear. And I want to read that together with you this morning. But let me give you a big idea of of what we could take away from this story of, of Paul or Saul getting saved. It's that God saves by his grace even the most unexpected kinds of people. God saves by his grace even the most unexpected kinds of people. That was certainly who Saul was, an unlikely, unexpected, surprising convert to Jesus Christ. But God loves to give salvation to exactly those kinds of people. We might say, there's no way that God would save them. That's who God saved when he saved Saul. Let's read from Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As Saul was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to Ananias, Get up and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on him, on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, brother, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days, Saul was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had gone by, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night, so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of Saul and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus, he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. This is a story I think we should love to hear. It's a story of a man's life being changed entirely, being transformed from a life of being an enemy of God, a sinner lost in his sin, guilty before God, and changed to become a man who lived for Jesus Christ, who would have eternal life, who would have total and free forgiveness in knowing Jesus, and whose life would now be lived for Jesus alone. It's a story we should love to hear that should encourage us. And, and I really want to look at two reasons that I think we should love Paul's story of salvation, this story here. And I think the first reason is that it shows us that God saves by his grace. God saves by his grace. Verses 1 through 9 show us this truth. 
This is a great story to show us that God is gracious, that he saves. We're reintroduced here in, in chapter 9 to this man, Saul. We've heard about him before. He showed up in chapter 7, and we know he was a bad dude. He was at the death, the stoning of the Christian Stephen, watching and approving of it. Saul was, verse 1 says here, uh, breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Saul was consumed with murderous hate for the people who loved Jesus. His life was not in a good place. He was an enemy of the true God. And he had come to see Christians and their message as a threat to his religion, which really was all about his own works, getting himself into a place where he was good with God because of what he achieved. He had a religion of self-righteousness, and Jesus was a threat to that. And so verse 2, Saul had, had even gone to the high priest to get these letters that would help him have the authority to get Christians arrested and silenced and shut down. And we could ask, what was God going to do with a man like Saul? This man who was persecuting him. This man who was lost in his sin. This man who was a murderer, angry. Elsewhere in scripture, we, we find that Paul said he was a violent aggressor. He was a violent man. How would God deal with this kind of man? We might say God would judge this man instantly. He deserves to be punished. He deserves to be stopped. How did God deal with this man, Saul? Well, he deals with him not with punishment that we might think he deserves, but he deals with him with love and kindness. And it's in a shocking way. Saul was traveling, verse 3 says, on the road to Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and, and heard a voice speaking to him. On this very day, in, a, in an instantaneous moment, Jesus entered into his life. Saul came to know Jesus Christ, who spoke to him by name, Saul, Saul. You hear the love even in those words? Why are you persecuting me? On that day, for the first time, Saul understood who Jesus really was. He understood that Jesus really was the Lord. He really is God's own son. Jesus was not just some man who was killed. He is alive, even now. Jesus is the Lord. And what we find from Jesus here is not, again, judgment that Saul deserves, but kindness to Saul that he does not deserve. Jesus, verse 6, says, has stopped Saul in his tracks, and he will totally change his life for the good. He now has a different mission, a new life, a new agenda. And we can see that it's, it's, it's really not too hard for us to show kindness to people that we like. I think that's pretty easy to say, right? Uh, it's Christmas time. You, you think it's, it's probably pretty easy to give a gift to somebody in your family that loves you, isn't it? 
It's easy to give a gift to your grandma or to your cousin or to your mom. Hopefully you're giving something nice to your mom because it's easy. You want to. You want them to to know that you love them because they've loved you. Well, God here was showing kindness not to an easy-to-love person. He was showing kindness to a man who, who was living with Jesus as his bitter enemy. Yet God did not judge him. He showed him grace. Jesus was showing love toward an enemy, a sinner who deserved punishment, and Jesus would instead give him forgiveness. He would give him joy. He would give him love. He would give him new life. And all of this shows us God's grace. Saul would talk about this story later in 1 Timothy 1, and he would say that it was the grace of God that was more than abundant working on this day in his life. What is God's abundant grace? I love this definition. I think it's so good to remember about grace. Grace is God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. We should be thankful that God is gracious, that God gives goodness towards those who don't deserve it. I wonder if you know about God's grace, that he shows goodness to us because even when you deserve only punishment for your sin, he has sent a savior. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment you deserve for your sins upon himself so that you could be freed, so that you could be forgiven. Though you've acted as God's enemy, just like Saul, we're all enemies in our sin of God. There's a God who gives abundant grace, goodness, offering forgiveness if you would believe in Jesus. Forgiveness that can't be earned by our works, but that was earned by Jesus for us on the cross. And that is a free gift. I think this little story here of Jesus interrupting Paul's life, Paul meeting Jesus, reminds us of God's grace when he saves sinners. If you're a Christian here, you know what it's like to meet God and his grace. And you should love hearing a story like this about how God loves to do this in sinners' lives. He has come into our life. He's brought us to his son, Jesus. He's brought us forgiveness. He's brought us blessing. And it's all by his grace. That's what this story reminds us of. But there's another thing that I think we could be reminded of from this story of Saul being saved. And it's number two. This story also shows us that God saves even the most unexpected kinds of people. God saves by his grace, and he saves by his grace even the most unexpected, unlikely people. At verse 10, our story introduces us here now to a man named Ananias, who's a disciple of Jesus. This is different from Ananias, the other Ananias earlier in Acts. This is the first time we're meeting this guy, but really all we know is that he was a Christian who lived in Damascus, and the Lord has come to him in a dream, and he's told him in verse 11 that there is a man named Saul who has been 
saved by him. Somewhere in Damascus, laying in bed without any vision, without being able to see. And he tells, verse 12, Ananias to go and find Saul and to lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. And it's almost, I think, hard for us to fathom what that would be like to get this kind of command. This is Saul. This is miles away. And Ananias has already heard about this guy, Saul. Saul, who's been going all around capturing Christians, murdering Christians. It's hard for us to even think about how scary this would be, but God wants Ananias to go right up to him and to pray with him. Saul was somewhere in town nearby, and he was an evil man, a man who was threatening to imprison, to even have Christians put to death. Saul had been involved with the death of Stephen, and I'm, I'm sure he would have been hearing about this, Ananias. Ananias was even thinking, this man could imprison me. He could do the same thing to me because I follow Jesus. Verse 13, Ananias says this, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Jesus had taken Saul and he had transformed Saul from the inside out. He was now a man that Ananias did not need to be afraid of. He had rescued Saul. Verse 17, I love what Ananias calls Saul as he meets him, and, and Saul regains his sight. He calls him their brother. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul is now a fellow Christian. He was once an enemy. Now he's a friend of Jesus. Saul was a new creation. And it's was the most unexpected, unimaginable, improbable thing that could possibly happen. Jesus had saved a bitter enemy in Saul. And we see those, uh, those last 10 verses of our passage really just show us that Saul was a new creation. He was once a persecutor of Jesus, and now he was preaching Jesus. This was entirely Shocking. Instead of hunting for Christians, he was now a Christian himself, being hunted by others, even being let down from a basket, which is kind of funny to picture, but probably was very embarrassing and humbling. Paul was now a believer in Jesus Christ. And all of that shows us that God loves to save by his grace, and he loves to save even the most unexpected kinds of people. That really is just the way that God likes to work. God has a way of saving people who, who we might think God would want nothing to do with. God can take even rebellious enemies of his and he can make them new creations. Uh, we could tell story after story. I'm sure some of your leaders, especially in here, who have been doing junior high for a long time, could tell you 
lots of stories of how God can take somebody who is totally against him, lost in their sin, and he can transform them. God can do that to the most unlikely people. Uh, I'm guessing some of us, I could tell stories of, of people we might have thought of as like the bad kids. Maybe you would think of it like that. But God opened their eyes and God made them his saints. He forgave them their sins and he gave them a new life living for him. Some of us could even tell you stories of, of seeing people changed and you would go, Really? That guy? God saved him? Yes, really. God really did save that guy. God really can transform anyone. If you're a Christian, I think this is a good reminder to keep praying for people that we think can't be saved by God. To keep on sharing the gospel with others in our life. To keep on living our lives as true Christians in a way that glorifies Jesus and is a light to those who don't know Jesus. Because God can save somebody you might think couldn't be saved. And really, it's amazing to think that God would save any of us. God really can save even the worst sinner. And honestly, we're all terrible sinners. We're all enemies of God. We've all been born that way as sinners against God. And we need to know that if you're here living lost in your sin, living for self instead of God, you need to know that God can save you. Even if you think you're beyond God's grace, if you think you're a lost cause, these verses remind us God can save even the worst sinners. I like what one pastor writes about these verses. He says, God's grace knows no limits. God can and God does call greedy tax collectors like Zacchaeus, the demon-possessed like the crazy man of the cemetery, and God calls merciless murderers like Saul. Jesus saved Saul to show how patient and loving a Savior he is. No one is too bad to be saved. Anyone who confesses that he is a sinner, however big, however small the sins, asks for forgiveness and believes that Jesus died for him, can be saved. That's what's so great about the gospel. The story of Saul here is a gospel story. It's a good news story. Not because Paul figured his life out and got, got things together and stopped doing bad things and started to become righteous on his own, but because God saved him. Jesus took his sins away by dying for him on the cross. And Saul was now a believer. He had repented and believed in Christ. And like every other testimony we get to hear, I think this should be one that we love to hear because it shows us just what God is like, that God saves, that God can save anyone. It reminds us of a great gospel. In the end of uh, later in his life, Paul wrote about his life following Jesus, and, and he said this about his testimony. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience 
as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. We're thankful, aren't we, for the the testimony of Paul. It shows us a perfect example of God's amazing grace, that God loves to save sinners, even who we might think are so unlikely to be saved. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are a savior of sinners, that you are merciful to look upon us who deserve your judgment, but instead to give us salvation. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that there is free and full pardon. There is everlasting life. There is joy living for you. Thank you for saving Paul and for the salvation that you give to everyone who is truly in your church. Lord, we rejoice that you are God who is good, a God who loves, a God of the gospel. Thank you for this morning where we can remember the gospel together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.